Before I get into the overview of this episode, I want to apologize for the prolonged absence. I actually have a lot of interviews still to edit from the May UCDA conference at Youngstown State University and this October's Design Incubation Curriculum at DePaul University. I've mostly been sidetracked from editing the audio because I spent most of the summer working on my tenure application, which was due back in September, and designing the print version of the book I wrote about determining breakpoints for responsive websites that are based on content such as text and images and not device sizes. My book, Browser Devices and Fonts, published by CRC Press, should be out this December if you're looking for a a few gift ideas. Uh, I'm going to be giving away a few copies of the book too, so stay tuned to future episodes for details about that. Um, The next thing I want to plug is my first ever listener survey that is currently up on the podcast website. While Google Analytics is great for telling me how many people are listening, I can only guess as to who is listening to the podcast, and I really want to know, not just guess. My hope is to get a better understanding of the who, what, when, where, why, and how of my listeners' relationship to the podcast. This will allow me to adjust or grow the podcast in meaningful ways or just leave it alone. So please, fill out the survey. If you leave your email address, which is optional, you'll be entered into a drawing for a free copy of my book. I'll put the exact details on the podcast website in regards to the book giveaway once I figure them out for myself. Okay, now on to the episode introduction. In episode 63 of Design EDU Today, Dave Sr., Chief Growth Officer and partner at Playground Incorporated joins me to discuss his article, What I Learned from 200 Design Interviews. This episode goes into the nuts and bolts of the article Dave wrote to answer specific questions about the transition from student to professional, and we cover questions such as what Dave needs to see in a portfolio to know that a student can make the shift from print design to digital design, what format a portfolio needs to be in for in-person interviews versus those online portfolios that get your foot in the door, and the value of self-initiated projects. Hello, and welcome to Design EDU Today, the bi-weekly podcast series discussing the necessary competencies to be a successful designer in a contemporary screen-based interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Dave Sr. Dave is the Chief Growth Officer and Partner at Playground Incorporated. Dave has been deeply involved in the digital space for his entire professional life. As the co-founder of the photo-sharing application, Bernst, he was part of the inaugural incubation round of the Ryerson Digital Media Zone. From pitch meetings in Silicon Valley to visiting startups in the EU, Dave has collected a global understanding of the entrepreneurial space, which he brings home to Canadian innovators looking to navigate these sometimes dicey waters. Today, he leverages his skills and network as a strategist at Playground Incorporated. He helps teach startups to think like big businesses and big businesses to think like startups. And, and you were saying um, that the audience is, is somewhat some students, but is there another audience as well that listens? I don't, I can't, I can prove that people are listening to it. Okay. <laughs> I can't prove who. I do think it's primarily design educators because that was the intended audience. And that's mm-hmm. who I've been kind of advertising to. 
but I, it's been applicable to students. And actually, I've I've heard this from anecdotal evidence that like design firm owners listen to it because they're kind of curious what other people are doing. Because I'm asking about things at such a nuts and bolt kind of level. Right. Yeah. Totally. Which I never would have never really occurred to me. Awesome. Well, that's uh, that's cool. You know, you put stuff out there and hopefully someone reads it. I've, I've been surprised at how the response has been to this article so far. Well, again, from a design education standpoint, we're not doing any of what you suggested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to talk about that on the on the episode. But yeah, uh, we but, will. But, but, but what do you what do you mean by that? And again, you know, this is this is my personal opinion. So I, I really don't want to speak for everybody, but like some of the things that you've mentioned, like the, just when you got into like the portfolio is like, Oh, I know. Cause okay. There's a, there's a Facebook group for design educators and they're talking about like, what kind of printed bound portfolio do you have your students make? Right. Okay. I see. And I'm just like, um, that's the wrong question. <laughs> totally. 100%. Um, <laughs> That that's yeah, and, and and so that's still what they're. And I've done a bunch of portfolio reviews through the AIGA where I've organized them, and and I'm like some some students are showing up with printed calendars. You know, there's their faculty are having them make calendars, mm-hmm. printed recipe cards. I just I can't imagine how as a hiring manager looking at that knows that they're going to be able to work in the field that you're working in right cool yeah so I, i'd be happy to sort of talk about like the field we work in and just the types of stuff we've seen because like we've had people come in with a giant you know 18 by 24 portfolio and then we've had people come in with literally nothing but a dribble account um and uh you know the the differences are you know are, are pretty black and white right and so mm-hmm. when we take a look at that type of stuff Really, you know, the people who have gone and made a Dribble account or have a Behance portfolio that looks and feels modern, looks and feels like it could hit the homepage of any of those websites, even if it doesn't, um, those are the people who kind of understand design and kind of have a passion for it because they've gone out and they've sought kind of the opinions of leaders in the industry. They've sought the community of the industry. They've taken a real uh, look at who matters and who doesn't. Um, whereas the people who come in with like the big printed bound portfolios, they kind of had to be told to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a pretty telling thing, right? If you had to be yeah. told, Hey, this is, this is why, this is how you should do it, or this is how you should get a job, you know, then it becomes pretty transactional. Like it's like do X, get Y. Whereas if you're really passionate and you really, you know, care about design or you care about web design or print design or advertising, you know, you're going out and you're seeing what the contemporaries are doing. You're seeing what the leaders in the industry are doing. You're seeing how they present their work and where that work lives. Um, and you don't necessarily need to go and, and do all the formal stuff. You can just produce a body of work hosted on a platform that's extremely easy to put your content on. Um, and if you can, you know, look the part and play the part on those platforms, that's probably more than enough uh, for a hiring manager or someone in design to kind of say, yep, that's uh, th- this person knows what they're doing and they care about this industry. So you just answered, you know, like basically how to like how can a student show initiative (laughs) and it's basically just by what they bring to the table because what you're seeing um a follow-up to that what could a design edge what should me as a design educator be telling students to bring to an interview because they i mean they're paying to go to school that is the i am the first i am google for them and rightfully so (laughs) um so what should I be telling them how to prepare their portfolio? And secondly, what would you like to see in it? Sure. I think that's a, you know, a really good question because, you know, people just don't know what they don't know yet. Mm-hmm. And when you start, um, when we look at portfolios, so I'll, I'll preface this by saying what type of design we work in in particular. So we do a lot of .com, portal, UX, UI, uh, mobile app design. We design a lot of the flagship applications and products uh, that live on the web and live on your phones. And so when we talk about the type of design we do, um, you know, we take a look at you know where the conversations are being had, where people are sharing the work that they are working on currently, 
when we you know look at the portfolio so if you're looking on behance you're looking on dribble you're looking on these these places where people who are actually in the practice of design are going to design if you have a portfolio that lives on there maybe you've put together a couple pdf examples um, and it's kind of tailored to the audience of of the type of design job you're you're sort of going for that would be amazing you know um, you don't necessarily need a big printed book or anything like that you don't need to walk in with with a ton of examples but we just need to see evidence of of really care and forethought for the industry um, for the type of job you're applying for so if you know if you're working in print for example you know like bring in some print or bring in some stuff that looks inspiring and that that really really matters uh, for that industry um, go and get an opinion on things understand who the foundries are those types of things and make sure that stuff's included in your portfolio if you made a type decision be like here's a bunch of examples of how I've used gothic type overlays you know and and that's going to tell you about like your care and passion for the subject matter itself um, the presentation of the material could be anything from a PDF to a big printed book to a website link to something that's really easy to publish. Um, I think that realistically, it's it's as an employer and as someone who, who's, who's working in design, we're looking for, do you have a recognition of what this industry is about? I, okay, let me back up. So I think pretty much like in every single episode, um, everybody has said, document the process, document the process. And I've really kind of had my trouble wrapping my head around that, but you kind of crystallize it. I don't, it, it, it popped into my head right now, but it's, it's maybe not so much documenting the process, but documenting the passion. So like dribbles a perfect way to do that because, you know, you're constantly throwing up experiments and you're not really curating them. You're just showing your passion for design and, you know, kind of how you work through a problem. So does that make sense? Absolutely. I think that when you come in and, and you do have process work to show, I think that is super, super helpful. Um, I think it's sometimes a little hard to dive all the way through the process. And I think processes change so quickly in our industry, particularly mm -hmm. in UX and UI. Um, you know, every month there's kind of a new, a new expression or a new rule of thumb or a new best practice to go along with. But I think, you know, I, I kind of allude to it in the article a little bit. It's kind of like that curiosity. So if I see the end result of the, of a product and of a project or as a product you're developing or, or just a screenshot you're sharing of your work or a snippet. Um, and I see that there's like some interesting stuff in there. Um, maybe you didn't necessarily get there through a process um, that matches our process, um, but you probably had to do a lot of thinking and a lot of research. And we can talk about that and we can talk about that in the interview. Um, you know, I find being able to be passionate about that makes the conversation really easy. Uh, the amount of documentation I want to see in the process is the amount that shows me you thought about it. I don't necessarily need to have you adhere to any particular, um, any particular methodology in order to get there. I just want to see like, hey, the, the output is good, regardless of the tools used, regardless of the process used. This person has a care for their craft, has a care for design, is probably the type of designer that, that we could work with. And now let's talk about it. Let's get in the room together and figure out how you made these decisions. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a statement, then ask a follow-up question. So to me, the kind of work that you do um, and we should probably have everybody tell you a little bit more about the company in just a minute. Um, that's the standard. I, th I feel like that's what most of the graphic design industry is now. You're not going to find any um, print design-centric companies or in large quantities. And I, I and, you know, besides, you know, maybe there's a lot of branding that may be a, a branding firm may be a little different from what so anyway, I, I feel like that's kind of like you're the contemporary example of what a company looks like. Um, do you think that's appropriate? Um, yeah, I, I see a lot of different design companies. You know, we have a lot of friends in the industry and, okay. and out there. But I think um, the the kind of loudest part of the market, let's say, is the uh, is definitely in digital, right? And okay. definitely in UX and product design. That's not to say there aren't a a really, really large swath of advertising companies, um, advertising agencies, you know, uh, pay-per-click or banner design agencies or digital agencies like that, that, are, that aren't still out there. And there's still lots of people making flyers and making, uh, making magazine ads and, and doing print. But I think that 
um, digital in particular, we because of the way information gets spread, we tend to have the loudest voice because our work gets seen by the most people and we end up building the platforms for ourselves first, right? So yeah. if you think of any of these places where you go and you share your work, those are built by digital designers. So you end up speaking to that audience. Okay. And so then my follow-up to that is what does a contemporary portfolio look like? What should it, what should be in it? And this is for the entry level graphic, you know, somebody coming out of school with one to two years of experience at the most. Yeah. So I think um, when you think about your portfolio, you should be thinking one, what type of job do I want to get? So, so start, start there. And if you're already thinking about what type of job you want to get, you should be passionate about that field of work, particularly in UX and UI design, which I can speak to. Um, we're looking a lot uh, for really the raw skills. Um, the format doesn't necessarily matter to us, whether that's a, a PDF or a big printout or, or, or websites, but it, it could be really anything. And I think it should be built uh, on a couple things. One, um, you should have a couple contemporary pieces in there. So you should be looking um, at Behance, at Dribbble, at any of these places, even on Medium or other blogs and you're mm-hmm. kind of taking a look at the audience uh, or not the audience but the the body of work that currently exists on there um, so go out there there's things like design challenges if you don't have experiences like the daily UI challenge yep. um, go out there and do a bunch of those um, I hired someone who really didn't have very much um, really formal experience and came from the humanities as a major but had a ton of just amazing work from the daily UI challenge where you looked at this and it's like hey there's just a ton of raw skill and it ton of passion here. Um, no matter what happens, you know, if, if they're easy enough to work with, they're going to learn a lot. They're going to teach us a lot about their process. And then we're going to be able to ingratiate them into the way we go about our design methodology here. So start, you know, developing, you know, a, a vision for what you want to do and challenging yourself to kind of look the part. Um, you know, don't go and reinvent conventions right off the bat. Don't go and try to design new icons. You know, borrow UI kits, borrow those types of things and make the modifications to solve a particular design problem. Um, mm. too, if you're, so if you are, you know, if you are going to challenge yourself, come up with a design problem first. Um, I see a lot of people who just say, hey, I'm going to redesign this because. Um, but the because becomes the afterthought. The because should be the first thing you start with. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know. I don't connect it well enough with my friends on Facebook anymore. What is the insight there? So show me some sort of insight building tools um, before you hop into the design. And when we talk about designing process and those types of things, um, if you can be an insights-based designer, if you can come up with a reason you created these things, um, I think that's going to be, you know, that's going to land you a job right away, right? I think that's the that's the holy grail for for people in this industry is that there was a why, and you can justify that why. You can identify needs. You can empathize with the needs of, of people um, and then design something that's going to be meaningful for them. So if you're starting with why um, in your design, pro- in your in your portfolio and, and, and where you're going with your challenges, um, that's really great. And then the last part is, is like, you know, really, really like figure out who, um, who you're going to model yourself against. There are tremendous brand designers. There are tremendous UX and UI designers. There are tremendous traditional, you know, content designers online um, that you can really borrow from, right? And you can you can see what they're doing and see, hey, I'd love to make a piece like that. So if you don't have a lot of work yet, if you don't have a, a lot of experience yet, go out and you know show me something that you know Jessica Walsh did, but you did your own spin and takeoff on. You know, show me something that like um, that. Hey, I. I really, really love the icon set that um, that the team over at Facebook put together. Um, let me do a bunch of icons in that vein, you know, and and really just get into the practice of like embracing and extending other people's styles. Because once you get into the real world and you're working on client projects, not every project is like reinvent this entire brand from scratch, yeah. right? It's about embracing and extending to fit the new problem and fit the new need. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's something I just recently started talking about on this podcast with um, a couple of guests is that um, when you go to design graphic design school, you go with basically the idea that you are the inventor, you are creating everything from scratch. But that is not the real world, really. Um, It's predominantly like here's a design system. (laughs) We need this added to it. Here is um, a style guide. 
created by the, you know, the advertising branding team, you need now to make an app or, uh, you know, this website that serves this purpose within these contexts. And when we originally started um, this conversation, when I started talking to you about, you know, being on the podcast, you talked about the fundamentals of design. And you said that, you know, the good defined, good design fundamentals are always good design fundamentals. And so I wanted to follow up with that is, yes, the, you know, the fundamentals haven't changed, but I think they've been, they've expanded quite a bit. And so I think that might be a skill is like being able to work with other people's work. So that was a really long ramble, but hopefully you, what are the new design fund, what's been added to design fundamentals? (laughs) Um, so I think we now all think of design as problem solving, right? Yes. So that is, um, I think is, has become sort of a new fundamental is the ability to add problem solving to your toolkit. So asking the whys of design, asking, you know, what does the end user, what is the customer, what is the human who's going to interact with or see this design, think, feel, um, those types of things. Um, you know, we, we have tools like design thinking now, which try to distill out, you know, the brains of designers and, and process. But I think, you know, the fundamentals really, you know, start um, in that empathizing sort of area, you know, being able to really get inside a problem or get inside a person to understand what's going on there. I think the fundamentals of typography, of grids, of layouts, of um, imagery, of readability, of accessibility um, are all still stand, and I think that those are even more important today than 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 uh, than we give them credit for. Um, if you look at any of the the modern websites or modern web experiences that people use on a daily basis, um, these aren't whiz bang experiences, right? Mm-hmm. They're delightful experiences. They're easy to read experiences. They're optimized for the user experiences. They are about spacing and hierarchy. Right. They're about repeatable patterns. Right. Um, So I think that those things, um, those are the fundamentals you need to do. uh, You need to really see. And I think like, you know, the ability to establish a pattern and and continue it, the ability to know when you have to introduce a new pattern or whether or not you have a tool to already solve the the next need um, is a is a tremendous skill. Um, I can give you an example. Um, When I look at portfolios and, and I'll have interviews, a lot of the times someone will come up with a completely new um, you know, tab bar for an iOS app that they did on spec type mm-hmm. of thing. And it'll be a little bit bigger than the Apple one or a little bit bigger than the Android one. And the icons will be a little chunkier or a little thinner or a little more colorful than sort of what the standards ones, what standard ones are. And I'll ask why, you know, like why did you think that this, this was an important thing to spend some time on um, in, in the design solution just to kind of see, was there a reason they added this or is this just, you know, sort of what they thought would be good? And um, I find that a question pretty telling because a modern portfolio, you would just kind of say, oh, there's probably a lot of thinking that went into the standard already. I'm going to embrace this standard and I might, you know, update the icon just a little bit, but I'm probably going to use the same weights. I'm probably going to use the same selected states that I see across hundreds of thousands of applications or some of the premier applications experiences um, rather than create all new ones. I think like that's a that's kind of a sign of, of you know, um, solving a problem that isn't there. Yeah. Right. And using and kind of using design as a hammer, being like, I'm going to design every bit of this. So I think like, the you know, being able to identify when a pattern is useful and why it is useful and not reinventing it. But when you're out of patterns or something doesn't fit the mold, then explaining why you made that new design decision is super important. So I think like being able to recognize best practices, um, recognize when a pattern currently works um, and then showing me when you've solved a really novel problem. Yeah, and I think that's just basically, I you can sum that up as understanding the medium, because I mean, from what I understand of iOS and Android development, it's not exactly the easiest thing to change, <laughs> like the dial that you use to select date ranges. Sure, yeah, that's a good example. And so, instead of, and so that just when they redesign it, that just shows that they don't understand, you know the monumental effort that it's going to take to redesign something that maybe isn't necessarily may not be the most beautiful experience but it's clearly not broken yeah or or what was that new date picker fundamental to the new experience you were creating yeah 
Um, or was it just like, I thought I could do this better and I didn't know there was a default? So I think that what you just said there, understanding your medium is is super important. Yeah. And and so the other the follow up to that is I don't know. I don't know why that this never popped into. Oh, I wanted to ask about so, so other design contemporary design fundamentals before I ask this other follow up question. Um, I've kind of been, you know, beating the drum that micro interactions animations like you know for example simply you know making a button shake when you f don't properly fill out a form that's an i to me that's a new fundamental because that's when we teach typography you know we teach layout we teach color but where do we how do we how are we teaching these micro interactions how movement how animation can influence a, a user and so that's what I meant by, like, you know, the fundamentals of graphic design uh, have been expanded. They're growing. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, like, um, you know, the, the principles of kind of interaction design and where you're trying to lead the user, um, those micro interactions are certainly, um, you know, a, a tool for wayfinding or indicating what's happening. I think that that is super important. I also think as, you know, things kind of become more... Uh, more complex and more t different and, and, and the, the, your audience is expanding so much now, like the mm -hmm. scale in digital design is so wide. I think accessibility and inclusion in design yes. is a, is, is a new fundamental that everyone has to have. Mm -hmm. So understanding that you're not designing for yourself and you might not even be designing for people like you, um, and adopting kind of inclusive design principles is super important. And I think the last part there, and it kind of goes with that is, um, building, um, a testing toolkit how to validate your design decisions as well. So it's not enough just to design something now. It's like, why are you designing it and how are you going to validate that that's a good decision? So being able to work with data or ask questions about your design or find ways to test your design, I think is also super important. Are there some ways that students could test their projects at a, you know, at a, at a, at a simple level that shows that, that they're you know they can't show proficiency in that but can they can they can at least show awareness of that idea of testing their design decisions um absolutely i think that that is um you know i, I think about going back to grade school where you know your your teacher was like show me the first draft um, and then show me all the edits that you had on the draft and then give me the second draft type of thing. Um, you know, kind of thinking about it like that, think of like the users that you're going to have it, whether they're other students or other people or someone you recruit off Craigslist or, you know, you go on usertesting.com and get the cheapest package type of thing. Um, I think just getting it in front of someone, um, you know, setting a goal, you know, if this is like a usability test or like kind of an effectiveness or efficacy test, um, you know, setting a goal and kind of getting their feedback and, and using that to inform your next design decision, right? So being able to form a hypothesis about why you made a decision or, or some element of your design and then testing it and seeing, you know, was I on a mark or was I not? You know, we have to make a lot of judgment calls, you know, on, on what to do, but, you know, ultimately it's up to the person consuming, you know, your design to tell you whether or not you've been effective. Yeah, and, and I just wanted to like follow up on one of the, you mentioned that like the scale of design is so radically different than, um, you know, earlier. And I think that's, and so accessibility has become so important because of that scale. And I think like, for my students, the example that I give to them is always just like their online banking because Wells Fargo, Citibank, whoever it is, is a international company. They can't afford to exclude anyone, not out of pure empathy, not out of just it's the right thing to do, but just out of a bottom line business sense. They can't exclude <laughs> anybody because of the massive scale of their product. And I, I think that's so anyway, that's how I explain it to my students, but it's something that that's hard. They don't grasp that when, you know, we assign a, they don't, they don't grasp the scale of the <laughs> things that they are working on now. And I think that's something that we should be, I need to be doing better at anyway. 
Yeah, I think, and, and with, with scale comes impact as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you when you think about, we do a lot of work in fintech ourselves here uh, for a couple banks and those types of things. And um, when you get, you know, when you get something wrong uh, for a set of users or a set of, uh, of people, there there's a cascading impact that might happen, right? If you don't explain, you know, what it means to pay off your minimum payments on your credit cards or where the interest rate is or those types of things, that affects people's lives in a pretty significant way. Um, it's not just like, oh, they weren't able to click this button. It's like, no, you've changed their life. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's a certain responsibility. And a lot of people don't realize that, Um, you might have unintended consequences of some of your design decisions. And it's important to always be measuring and going back and, 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 and making sure that things are okay. Um, I know now one of the, you know, the big things that people talk about is that design isn't done ever. You know, there is no such thing as a finished design anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to continue to iterate. You need to continue to learn. And we have so many tools to continue to learn uh, through that process. So we want to be able to, you know, uh, articulate that, no, this is, you know, this is based on information. This is based on our sort of approach, but this design is going to change. I mean, Facebook used to get tons of hate every time they made any small change to their website (laughs) until they started changing it every day. And it's different for you than it is for me. And it's different tomorrow than it is today. Um, You know, we are getting used to, you know, and we are, we are expecting constant change in our platforms now. Hmm. That's a good one. Um, So, I wanted to follow up on some of the stuff that we were talking about with the portfolios and just to give you a little bit of, um, backstory. Like, so when I think as a design educator, and again, I can't speak for everyone. When I think of a portfolio, I always think of it as project based. Does it have this project? Does it have that project? And for whatever reason, literally to sit in here talking to you, I just like, no, the portfolio needs to, instead of it being project-based, it needs to be skill-based. The the projects need to demonstrate these skills. And how, and, and whether, you know, regardless of the project, as long as it demonstrates the skills, that's what's important. So, in that context, what skills, what are like, the, what skills sh- should you be seeing on that portfolio, that online portfolio that, you know, that gets them that first interview? Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, I think that's right. I think I agree. I also think that projects are important because projects yeah. add the context, mm-hmm. right? Like this project happens to be a, you know, a editorial design project, or this project happens to be a, um, a product design type of project or a mobile design type of project. So I think that the, that those things are interesting. When we look for skills, I kind of think of skills on a spectrum. Um, and you know, they are going to be guided by a person's experience. So I think when I'm looking at skills, um, one, I'm looking at, you know, the, the raw ability and the, and the raw output of their design, right? So does their design look contemporary? Have they thought about spacing and color contrast? Have they thought about, you know, um, layout, all of those types of things that come straight out of the fundamentals. Um, there's other skills that we start to look at that we layer on, particularly in product design. So like, you know, is this an interactive project? You know, like what are the flows looking like? You know, what are the decisions made? You know, what is the hierarchy and cadence of these things? Do they have thing? Did they spend some time thinking about information architecture? Did they spend some time thinking about navigation structure? Um, did they think, take some time to think about the priority of different information and features and how did they arrive at those decisions? I think those are really important skills to look for. The other thing we think about in skills is, um, you know, whether or not they're keeping up with sort of digital design in our industry in particular. So Mm -hmm. can you show me an example of responsive design? Can you show me an example of responsive type or or a fluid layout versus a fixed layout Mm -hmm. uh, for for a website? Uh, You know, give me give me something that like, hey, this is going to be a real thing when you work on a project here. Um, Do you have you had any experience working through those types of things? Um, Very few people, you know, at at the junior level will come in with a lot of accessibility experience, for example. Um, But, you know, at least, you know, give me some buzzwords, give me some keywords on, you know, what you think about it um, so that we can see if, you know, you will be able to develop those skills or you're, you're interested in those types of challenges. So I think like there's a, there's a couple skills we're, we're looking at, um, right off the bat. Um, and then resourcefulness, 
right? So what tools did you use? How did you learn those tools? Um, did you learn them by yourself? Did you go out and try some of these design challenges to kind of figure out a new tool and to figure out how to make an interaction design pattern inside of something like Principle or Sketch or Envision? You know, um, what uh, what tools did you did you try to learn along the way? Because one of the most helpful skills, and and I think kind of the recurring theme of of the uh, article that I wrote was um, kind of about the ability to learn. And yeah. I think like that is like the number one skill period, right? If you have any one of these fundamental skills, but a really, really strong ability to learn and a, an ability to show me that you can learn and show the people around you that you can learn, um, that's going to go so far. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've said it and I, and I kind of stole this from um, I think uh, Kate Bingham and Bert. She's a design educator, but we're we're basically the the most the best we could do is just be cheerleaders and and you know get the students excited about design and excited about learning and they'll take care of the rest on their own if they have that excitement. Uh, absolutely, and uh, I tell people all the time like design is an excuse to be relentlessly curious, right? Oh, like. Yeah. It's just like this excuse to like dive deep into like the minutia or the or the macro level or anything of a problem, right? You can justify like sitting outside and people watching all day, you know, as if it's feeding the brain to solve a problem. So like design just allows you, you know, to develop this toolkit to just observe and empathize and challenge yourself and to go out and learn and see things and everything can be can be just fuel for the fire. Yeah, I actually make my students do that. I make them go ride the bus or when especially for like students coming from the suburbs like okay go ride the bus in the city um watch how everybody interacts with everything look for problems it totally like i love getting off um the plane in a city and seeing if i can navigate to the public transit to get into the city square right i think like that's like such a really interesting design problem that you know affects so many people and has to work for so many different types of people whether they speak the language or not whether they have low vision or not um whether or not they intended to take the bus or not you know like there's so many like really really interesting small decisions that get made and like you know, start reverse engineering some of those decisions in your head, whether you're right or wrong, you're kind of exercising that muscle. Yeah. Like the, this teach them the minute to, to look for like, okay, are you feeling uncomfortable? If you're feeling uncomfortable, that means that something that there's a, there's a design element missing that could have <laughs> eased that comfort for you. Totally. So, yeah. And yeah, did, did the, did the carpet on the floor change, you know, like what, what's going on around you? So the, the reason that I, I initially reached out to you was your article and for the listeners of the podcast read the article <laughs> um there's a lot of good stuff in there and so like most of these questions that i'm gonna be following up with are just you know that came from that article and that i was more curious about like digging into like you said the minutiae <laughs> of that. So my, my first question is, and we, you alluded to it, but can you kind of go into like a little bit more detail for the listeners is, can you describe, you know, Playground Incorporated and some of the work you take on? Sure. Um, yeah, so Playground is a digital design agency here in Canada. We call ourselves a human design agency because most of our work, um, we don't necessarily design humans, but we design things for humans, and it's kind of something we arrived at over time. And uh, the type of work we take on is primarily in what we call flagship or customer-facing experiences for um, large companies you know, across North America. So we've had the opportunity to work with so many really cool organizations over the years. So we've done like the dot-com websites of big banks here in Canada, uh, of big TV stations, of things like the Grammys, um, mm -hmm. of things like um, uh, Business Insider. So we've worked on businessinsider.com, which is like a top 200 uh, website on the web by traffic. They produce so much tremendous content. Um, we've uh, we've helped you know build businesses and, and invest in, in little side projects like Canopy, which is like a e-commerce experience. Um, we've built mobile banking apps. Um, we got to work with a, a great company up here in Canada, Rogers. They're kind of like your, uh, they're, they're kind of like Comcast, where they own a bunch mm -hmm. of TV channels and those types of oh, things. Oh yeah, Rogers Center. I'm a baseball fan. <laughs> there you go. So, so we we designed Sportsnet and the Sportsnet apps, um, in particular the Sportsnet apps, and uh, and you know kind of that 
that main touch point, kind of like the ESPN app or, you know, the, the Sports Illustrated app where, you know, it's a kind of big customer facing experience. So we've gotten to work on really like large scale design challenges on those dot coms and apps. And, uh, you know, for the last nine years, we've kind of been, you know, experimenting and perfecting our process and kind of using this company as a vehicle to kind of indulge our own interests and get to work on really cool things. Cool. So then and this is the other this is another thing that you uh, I want to tell the listeners about. Um, in the email, when we were setting this all up, you specifically asked me um, to, you know, like, how should you, in what context should you be answering these questions? And you said, you know, should you be coming from the yield of uh, field of UX? Is it web design? Is it digital product design? Or is it graphic design in general? So those are all different areas, specializations within design. So when so what does a team who's working on a project for playground what does that team look like yeah that's uh you know there's no one size fits all answer but i can give you kind of an impression of what what sort of a team looks like um when when we try to take on a challenge so traditionally a team will have a uh, a, a, what we call a product owner, which is kind of like a super project manager. It's uh, someone who can, you know, talk both languages of both design and technology to kind of bring them together as one, as well as empathize and, and workshop and run through the product needs and be able to really read between the lines uh, of, a, of, you know, user testing, those types of things. So they kind of have a, a grasp of, of, of a couple of disciplines um, and being able to, you know, kind of navigate a project from beginning to end. Um, and then we'll have a couple designers um, in, 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 you know, the best case on a project where we'll have a team of multiple designers. Generally, we'll have um, a discipline lead, like a design lead who um, might be, uh, we call them, you know, we call them, uh, we have associate designers, which are kind of like the, the junior or, 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 or first person in the door. And then we have all the way up to kind of creative leads or creative directors and product designers and product leads. Um, and so we'll have two or three designers who get to work on a project and they, uh, they kind of work with, you know, the, the product owner throughout the course of the project. And then there might also be technologists on the project, people like developers, engineers, uh, technical strategy team members who uh, will work together with, with the team as well. So a project could be as few as two or three people or as big as, you know, eight, 10, 12 people. It yeah. really, it really depends. Yeah, it, it depends. I mean, I get it. It depends on the scope of the project. You, you need the, the skills that are needed for the actual project. But mm-hmm. that that answered the, the question. Um, and so the reason I asked that is, again, just fr- in the classroom, you know, I've got 16 or so graphic designers. So even if I have them work in teams, they're working in teams that are in groups that are in with the same skill set. So there's real, there's like no diversity of thought. There's, you know, like no agile process there because they're not working alongside a developer. Um, I mean, I guess that, you know, as the, you know, the educator, I guess I'm kind of playing that super, um, you know, the design lead or the project manager, if you will. But so I think that's something that's like really lacking is that, you know, design again is it's gone from. You know, it needed a symphony of people to produce a print piece before the computer. And then, but you know, they, then it kind of all funneled in when you have the, you know, early, you know, like in the early 2000s, late 90s, when, you know, designer can do a whole bunch to now where it's like spreading back out again. And I'm kind of struggling with how do I teach students that they're going to be work, you know, to work like that. It's a different working process. Mm-hmm. But so do you have any kind of advice just, you know, like how to like strategies for like how to like how should students be working? You know, how do they work alongside the developers? You know, like how does that relationship happen? Yeah, I think I think everyone's trying to solve that problem. You know, okay. and, <laughs> uh, I don't think I don't think I have a, a, a 
a definitive answer, but you know, I think there's like some really, really interesting trends that I've noticed throughout the years. Um, and you know, you think about kind of digital transformation and those types of things that happen inside of an organization and organizations becoming design centric or user centric um, or customer centric in that process. Um, I think that there's like a really, really interesting set of skills um, that go into you know, building out really effective teams, but there might not be a really great cadence for for making that all work together. So, um, you know, we have things like agile, which work extremely well in a development methodology sort of standpoint. Um, but usually what they do is they require designers to define a lot of stuff for them up front. And then they go and they develop a lot of stuff and then you iterate together, um, you know, later on. Um, so I still think there really isn't a really great agile design process to be able to bring in all these people working together in a, in a way that ships super fast or you get a lot of those benefits uh, from that uh, from agile yet but um, you know people are working on it I think with us the way we sort of think about um, working together on a project is you know you really go in and you kind of try to build a shared platform of understanding and, and in particular when a lot of people have the same skill set or in are in the same skill zone I think you can start you know looking at different interests or different areas of focus that a person might have um, if someone is really into the content uh, piece of things or really really into you know the layout and, 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 and content side you know let them kind of run with it and let them work with someone who's really really into information architecture or really into you know the interaction designs and and kind of let them specialize or self-select mm. for the specialty there um, so that they can, you know, kind of learn and bounce things off each other, right? Um, kind of let someone take domain ownership over a particular piece and allow other people to work together and get input, but ultimately, you know, set up some governance so that someone is the decider there based on that area of interest. I think once you get into the real world, that ends up happening all the time, right? Is someone is the art director, someone is the creative director, someone is the product owner, and they will ultimately make a decision. Um, now, now, they might not have, you know, the same experiences to make sure that all those decisions are great, but it's a great kind of like little mini case study and being like, oh, how do I navigate the governance of working on a team or when people have different uh, responsibilities to a project? Um, so making sure that you kind of do that might be a really interesting way to, um, you know, kind of get the most out of those teams and show them kind of like what it's like to work on a, uh, a bigger team that's going to have uh, varying skill, skill sets or varying experts working on different parts of the problem. Okay. So uh, in the article, you also stated, we never hired anyone who specializes in information architecture or wireframe. We also never hired somebody exclusively for UI design, illustration, or motion graphics. So uh, for listeners, you can go read the rest of that in the article. But the, what I'm curious about is if you're going to hire a graphic designer, and throughout the article, you, you definitely have said you, like, you, you mentioned balance of skills you know, that, that, that you're looking for, um, you know, what are those balance of skills? Like what, what do you like to see for a graphic designer? I guess let's start there. Yeah, I think on, uh, when we think about the balance, um, we look at someone who isn't necessarily right now saying like, this is specifically what I do. And I, I never go from there. Um, although they might come in and say that exact thing, but um, I think the balance is about how they've learned, what different types of things are in their portfolio. Um, if they produced a, you know, a editorial style piece, there are things about hierarchy and design language and, you know, layouts and grids that they've thought about in that sort of piece and sort of project. Um, we love to see kind of like, hey, I've done a little bit of editorial or I've been a, done a little bit of app design or I've done a little bit of interaction design. Um, I think that we, you know, like I said uh, earlier, kind of in the article, it's like, I can take a look at your portfolio and it's kind of on me to figure out if you're, if I think that, uh, you know, you're able to keep up with the industry, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's kind of on me to say, mm -hmm. hey, you know, like there, there's definitely some raw skills here. There's, there's some really, really great, you know, great talent here. And then, you know, then we get together and we talk about it and I just kind of figure out how did you learn to do those things? Right. So so give someone something to like kind of chew on. Right. Like all of these all of the pieces um, in the portfolio or all of the the things, the diversity should be like kind of like, you know, kind of like a little tasting menu of different things to ask questions about. 
uh, and, and give, be, be a little bit thought-provoking. You know, like, oh, that's a, an interesting decision or that's a cool little thing. So when I think about diversity of skills, it's really like, hey, is the portfolio contemporary? Have they done a, a little bit of thinking? Even if they don't show me the wireframes, it's probably required some wireframing to get here. Um, if they don't show me that, um, you know, that they, they did the, you know, that they, no one's gonna develop a, a typeface, but if they show me like, hey, I, I made a, there's a couple selections here, a couple unique selections here, but the way I laid out this type, you know, then we can kind of say, okay, cool. Let's like, their work looks good. Let's bring them in and let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay. And so, and, and the reason I asked that is, is about the balance of skills is twofold. So what made me really start this podcast in the very beginning was the simple fact that one day I looked up and I realized that I'm teaching in a graphic design program. I'm teaching graphic designers how to be front end developers. And it's mm. like, okay, I need to step back here. They don't need to be front end developers. They just need, they need to understand the medium. And so now that I feel like I kind of got a handle on that balance, <laughs> UX. So, you know, does does UX, user experience, kind of need to be its own program? Or because, I mean, graphic designers end up becoming UX designers. So are they getting, an, are they getting enough in their graphic design training that they can be serviceable UX designers? Or And so I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on that whole balance in that between UX and graphic design? Um, so I think like, could it be its own course? It absolutely could be. I kind of, I have a controversial opinion in saying like UX has become almost ultra specialized, okay. um, you know, um, where you're kind of like, okay, I did the wireframes and I did the IA that's like UX. Right. And I think like there's, um, and, and that's kind of like where some people think UX stops. And I think UX is actually a really, really broad category of skills. So maybe it is its own program, but it could also be part of the graphic design. It could also be part of, uh, of customer experience design or design thinking or lean or any of these methodologies. Because what like UX to me and UX to us here is, is, is really about thinking holistically about a user problem or a customer problem, um, and then you know using the tools at hand to be able to solve that problem. So, you know, you would use wireframe to articulate an idea, to articulate a design hypothesis or a flow or something that's going to help um, a user accomplish a goal. Um, but UX also requires some testing, right? And now you have people like UX researchers that come in and they do specific types of testing in that process. Now, is that part of the skills of a UX designer? Um, I'd like it to be, I'd like them to have some experience in, in doing a little bit of their own research, but you know, they don't have to be a researcher necessarily. Um, you know, so I think that there's, you know, a wide, wide variety of skills inside of UX. And I think like, you know, if you look at stuff like on the design thinking sort of spectrum, where you think about like, you know, empathizing and defining and ideating and those types of things, I think those are all super useful skills for a UX designer, but those don't even talk about, you know, wireframes. So they don't talk about like those, those mm -hmm. little individual micro skills that you would necessarily develop. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, UX is kind of like this really vague term. I really just like the term designer, right? Yeah. Like we don't really like the terms like UX or UI, you know, some people like IXD, like interaction designers or those types of things um, that go, I, I, I love product designers, right? I love web designers. I love digital designers. I love production designers, right? I think like that all um, makes a lot of sense. I think like the UX design field on its own is certainly a huge practice, um, but I think it's like, you know, the designer is using UX principles to, you know, make better decisions. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the whole title because to me, I just generally use design. I, I'm a designer. I yeah. don't care if I'm making letterpress. I don't care if I'm ideating, like you said, going through a design thinking pro, you know, process to, to find a problem within an organization. It's all design to me. Um, so, but anyway, just kind of looking at where we're at with time, I don't want to monopolize your time too much longer. Um, there are just a couple of follow-up questions and, uh, they're pretty broad. And so one friend for me personally, um, in all these interviews that you've done, um, is there based on that, are there any projects that you think design educators should be assigning to make it easier for you to hire a designer? 
Oh, oh that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, are there types of projects that I think would be interesting for me to hire a designer? I, I, so this is going to sound uh, kind of counterintuitive and maybe a little uncreative, but I'd love for maybe there be a design project to where you start with the problem, you know, like there's some sort of problem, and you actually don't get them to design anything new. You let them download maybe the Google Material Design Toolkit or the Apple, you know, iOS mm -hmm. toolkit and say, use these tools to come up with solutions to this problem or this new app idea or whatever the case is. And like see how they, you know, kind of interpret the um, human interface guideline or the the material style guide um, and follow its rules and how closely they can follow the rules of those guidelines because those guidelines are heavily researched you know and I mm -hmm. think you know now you're kind of like taking away the um, the subjectivity of the of the process right like oh I'm you know I'm not really that great a production designer I'm not really that great at you know colors or gradients you're taking away a lot of that stuff and you're seeing if they can think through the problem-solving process and you're seeing if they can embrace someone else's work mm -hmm. and embrace a set of tools to solve a problem yeah I I also think would ask uh, correct me if I'm wrong but just like handing them like a a, a design system Here's a design system from X corporation that has their design system online. Create this new thing for them, but you stick within this existing design system. Yeah, I think that's terrific. I think that would be a, a really cool thing to do because so much of our work is, is like that. Whether you're coming up with a design system or not, I think it starts like helping you work back through, backwards through why this element is in the design system and how flexible it can be. And so I don't know if this is a weird question or not, and I don't know if you even can see this or not, but do you see a difference in portfolios from designers in the United States versus designers in Canada? And this is kind of like a reflection of like, what are, is design education in the United States doing something different or the same as design education in Canada? Um, I would say they're actually fairly similar. Okay. Um, I see uh, a lot of stuff here. I think, you know, here's here's a really interesting thing. I think European designers um, are, are somewhat different, or at least the education programs are somewhat mm -hmm. different there. Um, when I think about a lot of the Eastern European resumes that I see, um, we see a lot of production designers. Um, and mm. Oh, yeah, so we, yeah. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. like we see a lot of people with just tremendous skills in making graphics, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. they can really make some really beautiful and cool looking things. Um, but not as many people who have, you know, gone through that UX, IXD, you know, interactive making apps sort of design process. So mm -hmm. um, we see a lot of that, um, you know, and I think the, the major difference you know, that I've seen between Canadian and, and U.S. designers is um, maybe a little bit of confidence. I think in the U.S. there's a lot more scale opportunities. You know, if you work for if you work for someone like uh, Facebook or Uber or one of the big studios in the States, um, you know, generally there's, you know, they, they, they understand a little bit more about working with data and those types of things. Mm. But that's really changing here in Canada, too. Right. So, you know, we do have all the big companies now have offices here. We have companies like Shopify. All of our big banks are building tremendously large digital studios, digital factories and design practices. So I think like that's uh, that's really interesting um, as well. Um, and another thing that I noticed is that, you know, designers are just becoming more sophisticated, right? So like, you know, before it was enough to kind of just have a great body of work. Now it has to do with, you know, have you practiced design thinking? Do you know how to form an insight? You know, what are, what are some, you know, what are some things that you've, uh, what are some new tools that you've learned? How did you embrace those tools? What are, what are you doing? So I think like, you know, there's, there's kind of like a, a ramping up of the sophistication. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a new question that I've been asking recently of every guest, and it's what's one piece of advice you would like to give design educators to better prepare students for you know their life post graduation? Um, I think you know I'm sure you're already doing this, but like that the learning never stops. Um, you know, like that's super important. I think you know when I think back to my education and I studied you know entrepreneurship and innovation in school and so I didn't necessarily even come from a design background per se 
Um, but I think the idea that, um, you know, you have to kind of find your passion, figure out what you love about the craft, kind of do that uh, as, as sort of Montessori as that sounds, you know, <laughs> kind of find the thing and let it kill you type of thing. But, yeah. you know, really, you know, really try to develop a point of view, right? Really try to find interesting people um, around you, interesting people online, people to learn from and to read from, you know, try to understand who's doing this at the largest scale um, and understand that design is like everywhere right now right like there's there's so many people talking about it there's so many people doing it um the information is so free-flowing so like develop that like framework for loving and learning and developing your craft and you know thinking about it and you know and finding heroes and you know sticking to that and you know just being able to to, to do that i think goes so so far and and really really you know says a lot about a person when you, they can just talk effusively about like, look how cool this thing is. And I can't believe they like got it to this point. And do you remember where it came from? Like, you know, like it kind of becoming like a mini design archeologist in a way, you know, is like, you know, such a cool thing and, 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 and will really help you when you're thinking about how to make decisions and how to present your decisions and how to present your designs and, and, uh, and think through problems. You know, that's one thing I'm always baffled that students don't have is their design heroes because there is not a single musician student that doesn't have this is like you know a musician like that they emulate they they really know the history of their of of their craft but that just seems to be lacking that enthusiasm or that interest (laughs) and Mm. i don't i don't know where that comes from um okay so then this is like one last question before I get let you go. Is there anything that you're working on, whether it's playground, whether it's you personally, you know, that you want to promote or you want to talk about? Um, so things that we're working on, I mean, so right now playground's working on their new website. So everyone <laughs> here is kind of like, we're, we got the shoemaker's kid problem where like, you know, we, we can't work on our own stuff and it's so hard to talk about ourselves. Oh my it's gosh. been a real initiative to kind of like go out and, and do some writing. So this has been extremely validating for me that you, you've, you've read my piece and you had questions for me. So like, thank you so much for, for making me think I'm not crazy. Uh, you know, and, um, the, the, you know, we're working on our website and one of the big things that I'm working on, and I hope it sees the light of day soon when our, our website launches is I'm developing, a what we call like the playground design toolkit, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, a giant document of basically anything we've ever done in any of our design projects. So it's um, kind of, uh, I think there's now up to like 84 little tools that you can kind of like go into and, and kind of do it. Everything from like starting a project plan to building a sprint plan. Um, those things are actually the same thing, but um, mm-hmm. you know, um, like going through like the, the design exploration process and the design thinking process and insights gathering and user testing and how to do when you should do usability testing versus just, you know, getting, gathering some feedback. So like all of the little tools we use, um, you know, just documented online somewhere because I think one of the things that um, happens a lot in in design is you'll read an article and it'll be like here's the new IBM design thinking method and it's like you know it seems like it's like okay here's like 14 things and you put them all together and yet the at the other end comes a project or like you know do lean and lean is this 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 and then you're done um we're like there's so many little things you do so we're trying to capture all the little things that might happen in a project you know like how do how do you actually you know how do you set up a milestone you know how do you how do you make a decision how do you set up your project governance those types of things so like it's um it's very we're trying to get more specific whereas everyone kind of wants to be as broad as possible to you know cover as much ground as possible we're trying to get very very uh specific to be like hey there's so many things you could do in a design project and here so just uh you know a document of the things that we've done you might not use them all you might only use five or six but you know, there's, there's a depth and a breadth to, to this industry and and the things you make. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I'm not going to, I've not used every single toolkit, but I've downloaded enough of them as an educator and I'm looking at them and I'm like, you're missing the fundamental starting point. I mean, like there's always like some crucial information that they've kind of forget that makes the toolkit not applicable. Like you need, you just need, when you throw those things out there, it's great, but you need more documentation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, how many how many of the, you know, like lean methodology canvases have design critique as part of the process? 
you know, and you're like, well, well, you know, you are designing a thing and, you know, someone's got to look at it. So where, where's the critique part or, you know, where, where's the part where you do all your estimations, you know, or where's the part where you, you know, um, where, where you throw something out and start again, <laughs> you know, so we're, we're kind of, uh, I, I, I was looking around and I was just looking at this and I'm like, Hey, we've probably learned a thing or two. Let's start writing stuff down. And once we started writing, it just, you know, kept flowing out of us. And we just had so many items that kind of came out of there and we're like, you know, this is the reality of doing project-based work or designing products. It's, there's just a lot of steps, and uh, we wanted to, you know, kind of create a document that was more about the minutia and less about the the macro themes. That's fantastic. I can't wait to actually see that. So that's all we have time for today on episode 63 of Design Edu today. I want to thank today's guest, Dave Senior, for being so generous with his time. I want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design Edu today hosting sponsor. DigitalOcean, and CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. Finally, I want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with the podcast news and show releases, you can visit the Facebook page and subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes or Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback, contact me through the show's email address. Hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU Today.